what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is Alan, struggling to talk <laughs> today. As you can probably tell if you're a regular listener, uh, you don't need to adjust the EQ on your, on your audio player. No, my voice is not quite 100% at the moment after coming down from a very uh, nasty weekend sickness-wise. But I'm good. I'm not contagious, Chris. I know there's enough distance between us on the I, table. I've got here. my surgical mask in place. I'm, I'm good. We're all good to go. Chris, on the other side of the table from me, how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing really well. Good, so. good. And it's partly my fault. We have not, uh, I think we might be a little delayed on getting this episode out the door. So apologize for all of you who have been eagerly waiting by your podcast player, <laughs> hitting the refresh button every day to see if there's been a new episode to download. Uh, we want to get back on track here. And as we go into the end of the holiday season here, I do want to just go ahead and say first off, in case you don't hear another episode from us before, between now and then, hope everybody has a wonderful holiday season. Thanks for all listening of the shows you've done throughout the year and the feedback and everything else we receive. We really do appreciate it. Yes. So, Chris, today's episode, we've got two films we're going to discuss, um, and I'm going to draw a parallel between them. I hope that's okay. Okay. One is the Robert Zemeckis film, The Walk, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, which is about a true story that has actually come off the heels of a documentary done called Man on Wire. We're going to talk about the dramatic version of the film, The Walk. Speaking of documentaries about famous people, though, we're actually going to actually review a true documentary about a true person, Amy Winehouse. The documentary is called Amy, and that is one that's getting a lot of, actually, some Oscar buzz right now. Could be best documentary. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. So we'll be discussing The Walk, and we'll be discussing the documentary Amy, uh, followed by some quick movie news and discussions about some uh, projects coming up or things that we're hearing about in the movie field. And finishing up the show with our recommendations for the month. Um, a, you know, a movie, something we feel like you ought to check out online, especially as you go into the holidays. It's kind of a good time to catch up on a few things on, whether it be Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, iTunes, whatever it may be. Hopefully we got a couple choices and we can help you out with that. Chris, sound like a good game plan? Yes, it does. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right into our first review, which is the Robert Zemeckis film, The Walk. Welcome to New York. Anything to declare? I'm going to hang a high wire between the two towers of the World Trade Center and walk on it. <laughs> Good luck. I need you to help me pull this off. I got just the guys. Now it starts. Come on, make it snappy. I'm in a red zone. I'll figure out how to get the wire across. This is extremely illegal, not to mention dangerous. This isn't a game, Philippe. One mistake out there, and you're going to die. Chris, it was back maybe a year and a half ago. I don't think it was quite two years ago, but it was a little while back. On this very show, we had a discussion about the documentary Man on Wire. Right. I think you may have recommended it as one of your uh, recommendations on the show. That's probably where it came from. And I remember you and I both really liking that documentary. Absolutely. Um, It's one that I think is available on Netflix now, or had been for a while anyway. And it is about the uh, true story, obviously, a documentary, 
about how in 1974, a high-wire artist from France came to America, Philip Petit, recruited a team of people to work around Sidem, and basically his whole vision, his whole dream was to create a high-wire between the two twin towers in New York City and walk across it. That's the whole premise of the documentary, which is now rolled over into the premise of the film we have called The Walk. You and I were both really big fans of the documentary. Yes. You and I have had various discussions in the past about whether or not a film could have been handled better as a documentary. I can't think of a situation where you and I have discussed a film where we've reviewed both the documentary version and now we're reviewing a dramatic acted version of the same story. So with that, Chris, I've got a very simple question to you. Man on Wire or The Wire? Which one would you recommend people see if they really want to get to know Philip Petit in this extraordinary feat that was done in New York City back in 1974? Well, that okay. So that's that's a tough question. Uh, okay. Not the wire, but the walk. So the walk or man on wire? Oh, sorry. So yep, the medicine's going to my head. So yep, <laughs> fair enough. Man on wire, and then the walk. The wire is a TV show on HBO, I believe. So yes. yeah, okay, got it. We'll um, clear it up now. <laughs> so tough question, and actually. This is a rare instance for me where I think both films are excellent and both stand on different merits. Really? Um, If you wanted, if you're really interested, if you hear the idea and you're like, I just want to hear, I just want to know the history. I just want to know the facts. I don't care about, I don't care anything. I just want to know the facts. Go the documentary route. Um, You will learn all about the specifics and it's an excellent film as we've already talked about. You recommended on a past show. If you want to get a feel of what it was like to walk a tightrope between two towers that unfortunately no longer exist. Um, and to actually also get a feeling of kind of the innocence, maybe so to speak of the 1970s, as opposed to the area we li- era we live in now mm. in 2015, where there's terrorism and something like this, you can't even fathom happening. I say go for the walk or not for the walk. There we go. Oh, yeah. The, no, the walk. Yeah, the I got it right. Not the walk. This is really confusing. <laughs> this is just <laughs> like, what? Um, but go for the walk because what this film allowed me to do, having seen the documentary, I really liked it. You and I were skeptical a little bit, fair enough to say, when we heard that this movie was being made because we're kind of like, why, why? Um, but it was thrown out there that this was going to be shot with like IMAX cameras and was going to be done the whole 3D route. Interestingly enough, when I saw this film, I did not see it in 3D. I did not see it in IMAX, but I did see it in a theater. Um And I think that makes all the difference in the world because actually I think if I would have seen it in 3D or IMAX, I would have been really irritated and probably sick (laughs) because I think it makes very effective use of that. If ever there was a film to be shot this way, this is it because you're talking about ridiculous heights, something that's kind of crazy. Why would anybody do that? That said, I was glad I didn't because I think I really probably would have gotten ill because even so, it was dizzying heights. The visual effects in this movie – I thought were outstanding. If it's not nominated for some type of award, I think it's a shame um, because I thought they were really well done. Um, and so there's that perspective. But I would, so it's kind of like, what are you after? Are you after kind of a, in a way, kind of a thrill ride that still has a good story and is kind of uplifting? Okay, the walk. If you want, if you hear about this, I'm like, wait a second, there's no way that could have happened. I'll be, go the documentary route because then you'll get like, laid out facts. Mm-hmm. So this is a rare instance where I would say, I don't think we ever have actually talked about this situation. Like you were saying, the setup back to back, but this is a rare instance where I can say, 
I'm glad both films exist. Both have a purpose. Both they have can, a purpose. They can coexist. Both have a purpose. Okay. They should coexist. I think they would make an excellent, although pretty long, because The Walk is 123 minutes. I'm not sure how long Men on Wire is. Mm. It would make for a long double feature, yeah. but still, I think, kind of a fascinating um, a double feature to have. So what were your thoughts on The Walk Out? Um, I don't think I was quite as positive on it as you were, <laughs> but I will say I was... I was happier with it than I expected to be. Okay. I still prefer the documentary. I have a few specific reasons why. Sure. I feel like this movie, I think this, I, I probably would have enjoyed this movie if I'd never seen the documentary. I would have enjoyed it more because sure. I do feel like the film glossed over a lot of things that I thought made the Philip Petit character very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think this movie had the luxury of treating him a little bit more as a caricature. Where the documentary, I felt like you got to know him through the pieces of information they were sharing with you. I think in a way they kind of know, hey, listen, there's a documentary that's going into a lot more detail about him. We're going to let him be just this very higher level surface character. Sure. And I didn't like that because I liked knowing a little bit more about this character. I wanted to know more of the true driving desire to do what he's wanting to do. But you'd already seen the documentary. I had. But see, see, that's what kind of bugs me about me, it. As I'm me, watching this, I'm saying, right. anybody in this audience who's not seen the documentary, this is a very surface-level movie when it comes to that character. Let me let me, let me me com- combat that point. Right. Okay, I agree with you as far as... Um, I knew going into this movie, I, I really liked the documentary. The movie, I was kind of sketchy on whether or not it could hold up. But I just came away. It's just two totally different experiences. Let me let me give you a little something to – and this definitely colored my viewing of the walk. Right. Sitting beside me were my wife and my two kids. Yep. This is definitely – it is PG. Yep. It is a family – I mean, there are some like curse words, some drug references, but in general, it is a yep. family-friendly movie. Good point. They have taken off the rough edges that are revealed in the documentary, mm. and they have you know shaped those nicely. So you know, the family to the right of me got all they needed. They felt like they knew why this guy did it. Sure. They felt like they knew all the stuff. And so for that for that mode, if they didn't want to go any deeper, if they didn't, want, it was kind of it was perfect because there's. Philip T is a very interesting man. You you really know why he did it if you watch the documentary. But the documentary shows some unflattering things about him, True. where the film, The Walk, only kind of maybe hints at it. Yeah. And it's funny because I have a perfect instance where afterwards my wife and I were talking about it. And she's like, yeah, I didn't really get why. Is it Anna or Annie, the, the woman in the film, mm-hmm. kind of the love mm-hmm. interest? She's like, why did she go back to Paris? Right. <laughs> Which like, a lot of people would be asking right. if you've only seen The Walk. Right. right. And I'm like, well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I kind of told her, and she's like, oh, man. Bummer. See, like, and, that's, and, and I'm like, you know what, though? That. For the type of movie, like I think Zemeckis, not knowing him, never met him, but he set out to make a certain type of film. And it was kind of about the joy of life, the joy of living your dreams, mm. and not, you know, all this kind of stuff. It wasn't about. And so for that reason, yeah, he kind of did do a caricature and didn't fill in a lot of the spaces for a petite. And I can see the benefit of not doing that because you create an interesting film that doesn't go into areas that might not be family friendly. (laughs) You know, it's almost like Zemeckis. And I do want to talk about Robert Zemeckis. Sure. I think you have to. As a director, because this is somebody I feel like in the last 10, 15 years or so 
he seems to be much, much more interested in the visual impact of his films than he does the story necessarily. Okay. Uh, he's done the whole Polar Express and Beowulf and Christmas Carol, these motion capture films. Right. And I've heard and read a lot of criticism, and myself included, that it seems to be a little more interested in the technology and all that. I am happy that with this film, he was able to tell a story that did utilize the technology and the visuals to enhance the story. So I did like that. And I do agree that I like he I like the fact that he made this film. I do feel like he made it as a fairy tale version of the story. He absolutely did. You know, it's almost like, yes, it's this wonderful story. And we even have a narrator kind of talking. Oh, through it. I love that. Loved him. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But here's my not only a narrator, the person who was narrating it was Joseph Gordon Levitt as Philip Petit, and he kind of brings you into He's talking, loved it. Breaking the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall. Wow. Talking about it. Loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. That first minute or so. And that actually right there, that's what let me know. Yeah. Throw out throw out Man on Wire. It's a good film, but as far don't bring mm. if you're gonna bring that baggage to this film, don't bother. Actually right. that that's my thing. If you really liked I, Man on Wire and you're like, Why why should I go see the don't bother. I'm in, I'm in the holiday mood, and I'm not going to argue with you on it. I, I totally get your points. Sure. I did not like – I liked the narration. Okay. I think here, – here are my hangups with the film. I did not like the the visuals at the beginning where you have Philip Petit's character addressing the camera, and he's on top of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. And you got the whole building in the background, and it does all this zooming around, and it's very – you know. I, I didn't care for that at all. Oh, um, I just thought at that point I knew that there were going to be some overly stylized elements in this film that I probably wasn't going to enjoy. Hmm. Two more came to mind later in the film that really just irritated me. One is a bird shows up. Okay. I thought that was a situation where it was really bad CGI and it was very obviously fake and it just pulled me right out of the situation at that point. Okay, agreed. Same here. My only question, and I could not remember, and that's where the point where I had seen Man on Wire was really prohibitive or prohibiting me from enjoying the film because that was one point where I saw I was like, wait, if that really happened, then I don't hold it against this film. But if that didn't happen and they're adding that in... That's really upsetting. And I couldn't, rem- I couldn't remember. Well, I just think with all the visual wizardry we have available to us, the fact that they used so much of it in the last 20 minutes of this film, right. the bird just looks so fake and it ridiculous. Did. It was irritating. And then I also I'll knew there were that. a couple shots that they were doing for the intent of it being in 3D. And it just irritates me when it's so obvious. Like, for example, the cable, when it drops... At one point, they're trying to stretch it between the two buildings, and it slips and it drops. And it does this whole thing where it just shoots out at you in the screen. And it's a very unnatural way that it moved, but it was solely for the intent of popping it out on the screen for 3D. (laughs) Again, those are some little touches that I've kind of come to expect with Zemeckis films I've seen in recent years. It's a little more, let's have fun with the visuals and be a little more over-stylized with it, even if it detracts from the story. And that's what bothered me about in a few places. Now... I also with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think he's a very good actor, but I feel a, I, feel I think a buzz he's a bit on. of a cornball, and I think this is a, a role where he gets to really relish in the cornball role, and it starts to shine through a little bit. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's got the arched eyebrows that he does in almost everything he does, and you can just tell that forced accent he's playing with throughout the film. It it was a little grating to me after a while. Wow. But I don't fault him for it. I mean, he was the right person to play this part. 
you know, you've got to obviously have a French accent. The role doesn't work if you're not French. Um, you've got to be the showman. You've got to be the kind of the jester in a way. And I get that. He was doing those roles. It was just, I guess I'm just having a hard time getting away from the documentary. That's yeah, my whole problem. Yeah, That's think, my whole I thing. Think, and I, see, I, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I thought he was perfect, perfect to play this guy. Yeah. And having seen the documentary, Petit you know, does do a lot of, he kind of has a little glimmer in his eye. He kind of tilts his head. And I feel like Joseph Gordon-Levitt must have studied him and his, like, physicality, even so down to the guy just didn't walk tightropes. He was kind of a street, he was a street performer as well. Mm. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt was, you know, he juggles. He's able to do, like, he does all this, like, if you've seen Saturday Night Live when he's guest hosted, he does all these, like, dancing, all this kind of stuff. He's very acrobatic. He's a very acrobatic person. And I thought he carried all that off. Like, I could believe that he was this guy, even though obviously they look nothing alike. (laughs) But I thought, um, I I just really, I enjoyed his performance. I thought he was perfect. I felt like it was like a whimsical nature that he needed to bring to it. I didn't, I wasn't on the page with the cornball. I mean, I kind of see what you're saying, but I was on board with it. Okay. So I'm Chris. I'm really surprised. I did not (laughs) think you were going to enjoy this film. Honestly, you and I saw it on two different nights. True. And, uh, I really honestly was telling myself like, yeah, Chris, I'm going to like it. So I'm really happy you were. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I liked it. I did. And is it something I want to show my kids? Absolutely. Whenever it comes available and I can show it to them. But uh, it's just, I love the documentary so much. I felt like there were just so many parts that were glossed over in the film. I understand the reason for it. Sure. I get it. I totally buy your, your opinion on the film. And I could see why that may have been the choice in the filmmaker to do it this way. I just didn't really want the fairy tale version of an acted version of the story. I wanted the real acted story. But if they're going to make the fairy tale version, they made a really good fairy tale version of the story. I, I, you know, I've been nothing but praise pretty much the whole time. I will say that. So just to temper it just a little bit, mm-hmm. I will say that the misgivings I had, the seagull or the bird yeah. that came at one point that bothered me. The biggest one though, was at the end they're fading out and it's kind of a shot of the towers and they use the sun kind of reflecting on the towers and the way they kind of held on that shot just a little bit too long. I felt Mm. like they were kind of trying to milk it for a little bit of sentimentality that I didn't think really needed to be there. And actually the way the sun was, this is really nitpicky (laughs) the way the sun, but that's, that's who I am. Uh, the way the sun was reflecting, it actually kind of looked like flames and that bothered me a that. little bit because it was that. like the towers were on fire. So that that bothered me. Whereas one of the really cool things about the documentary, Man on Wire, is that it doesn't really mention at all 9-11. No. And, and the it, film was done after 9-11. But right, still, sure. all it is is this a documentary. is like, here's this. And it is unsaid throughout the entire thing. There is no reference, whatever. And I really like that because it's kind of like letting you remember, oh, yes, these Towers used to stand. This is what happened without trying to over make yeah, it overly sentimental. I'm so. probably a little bit on the opposite of you on that item because I was afraid going into the walk that it was going to be played way over sentimental about having some future references to 9-11 or through slow motion shots of people admiring the building or something that was just going to be, you know, playing on emotions. And I love the fact that they didn't really do it. They were keying off of more of Philip Petit's admiration for the building 
Right. And they also, and that was the interesting thing. Okay. Yeah. The only part that I felt like they were trying to pull for heartstrings was just that end shot. shot. Yeah. Let me be clear about that. I thought that was appropriate. I was okay with that. Yeah. I thought it was maybe a little much, but what I liked and um, people in the audience that I saw with, we had a discussion afterwards, they actually pointed out how they liked how people of the time in the 1970s were complaining about the World Trade Center. It's like, uh, oh, it's just nothing but a big box. It's yeah. kind of ugly. It's That's just the, bulky. I didn't think about that one. And they had no – and not letting that be said in the film. And then some people in the audience also said what was nice was that final image where you see it. They didn't see it quite like I did, but that final image because it lets them kind of remember the towers that way yeah. as opposed to all the news images that yeah. then plagued that final shot well, for me. So but they, they were able to kind of remember it the way they wanted to. It would have so. killed it if they had done some sort of little quick mentioning about 9-11 at the end or show some sort of montage about it or whatever. No, they just let it fade out, and I was perfectly fine with that. I really did admire the sense of the time that they mm-hmm. captured and the fact that they didn't try to go for the over-sentimentality of knowing the world, the trade center like we do now. Right. Um, no, I thought it was a good movie. Um, I had some misgivings with it, but I will say it was a good movie. If you've never seen the documentary and this sounds more up your alley, like you'd rather see the acted version, it's a great fit film to watch. And then I think you'll then go see Probably want to go behind see the, the scenes the documentary, yeah. yeah. They are good complementary tools. I'll give them that. I like the documentary better, but I do think they work together well. And I think you've actually convinced me on a few items I wasn't convinced on before, so... Good. So the walk, we're both saying good. Chris is giving it a very high, high marks. <laughs> I'm giving it relatively good marks. And, you know, it's, it's a good film. Definitely worth checking out for sure. So uh, our next review is going to be the documentary about the late singer Amy Whitehouse. And the documentary is titled, appropriately enough, Amy. Oh, it's a bit upsetting at the end, isn't it? She was highly intelligent, the most intelligent person I knew. She was so utterly authentic. Amy, just give us a smile and then we can turn the camera off. Do you promise? (laughs) She had such an emotional relationship to music. You're becoming an artist in the public eye. The more people see of me, the more they'll realise that all I'm good for is making music. The world wanted a piece of her. Amy was a girl that just wanted to be loved. The documentary Amy details the life of Amy Winehouse in her own words, featuring unseen archival footage and some actually unheard of tracks or outtakes. Alan, it has been announced that actress Numi Rapace is going to play Amy in an upcoming film directed by Kristen Sheridan, or Kirsten Sheridan, the daughter of Jim Sheridan, who made movies like In America. If you had the power, after watching this documentary and what we just discussed with The Walk, having seen this documentary now, if you had the power, would you say, no, I do not want to see, I do not think said film should be made. Shut it, shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> Amy, the documentary Amy gave me all I need. Please don't make your film, Kirsten Sheridan. Um, what, what, what are your feelings? Well, you know, what, what's interesting is that after just coming off our conversation about The Walk, thinking in terms of how we compared a narrative versus documentary. Mm -hmm. My gut feel is to say, I don't need another Amy Winehouse film. This documentary gave me everything I need to know. And I do feel like 
I'm pretty well caught up on the Amy Winehouse story, and I really liked this documentary quite a bit. Would I like to see an acted version that maybe plays up more of the music, the creation of music, the writing of the music? That would be interesting. This film, I know, was focusing more on the roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. And I know it did give some attention to the creation of her songs, writing of her songs, recording of her songs. That part I'm really fascinated by. I would love to see more about that. So maybe an acted version of that side of the story I would be okay with. But this documentary really worked for me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think I've got a nice long list of things I liked about it that I can be happy to go through. Um, and very few dislikes. So overall, I, it worked for me. And I'd be fine if there was no other Amy Winehouse movie. But if there was one, I think maybe one that just dealt more with the, the the passion for music and the kind of music she made would be really great. I, you know, I will take your likes of this movie and say yes. I have all. I basically have all positive things to say about it, and I would shut down the production would of you? said Numi Rapace's yeah. movie because I, I really feel like. I've seen movies, Love and Mercy, that we reviewed that talked yeah. about the music making process, and I've seen biopics that have tried to do that, and I, I'm just not interested in it. And yeah. I think what helps is this movie was so well made and did document not the music making process, like mm-hmm. you say, it could have used a little more of that, but what it did do was I felt kept very true to being a documentary, and what was there was what was there. Yep. And what one of the things that I'll go ahead and go into that I really liked was being able to use archival footage from the very beginning and let it kind of tell the, the story whole film. for the whole film. There was no shot footage for this film that I could tell. Right. And same, I think there was one time when there was an interview with Quest Love that I think was shot maybe after the fact. Really? Maybe not. Maybe not. But, um, but yeah, other than that, I'll... I, I did not notice. I mean, that was what I thought was amazing. They put together a two-hour documentary, an right. engaging documentary, right? just using existing footage. And you would hear interviews, but they would be off camera, mm-hmm. and then you'd see pans of photos or stuff like that. Um, that's why the one thing with Questlove, maybe it was an interview that he did about her at some point, and they just excerpted it. But the way it was shot made me wonder. But no, I... I really admired that too, and my jaw kind of dropped how early footage they had. I guess it's the advantage of, you know, being a very recent person who only the recently came into stardom. Yeah. They had iPhones, they had all these things that could shoot really nice looking video. <laughs> and we had video of her look like at 13, 14 years old right. at the very beginning. Um, yeah, I'm amazed. I love the fact, at first it threw me for a loop, the fact that we never saw any of the traditional head and shoulders interview shots. Not a talking head doc. So right? there's a lot of people that are talking in this documentary. I still don't really know what they look like. Right. <laughs> but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked for me after I got used to it. Sure. And I think once I started realizing, oh my gosh, they're going to build this entire documentary with archival footage. That's really cool. Yeah. I really liked it. And it worked. It, it totally did. worked. You're right. They could never have pulled this off with a older topic of the, of the of the biopic or somebody even in a generation before having all the footage we had available it told the whole the whole story and so little of it too was i mean they did have some appearances once she got famous or some mm. television interviews but those were actually kind of few and far between and a lot of it was for lack of a better term like iphone footage yeah um I can compare this to a film that I recently recommended, uh, Montage of Heck, which was the Kurt mm-hmm. Cobain documentary. I really like that one, too. Um, 
but the fact that they had to rely a lot on a lot of interview footage or a lot of magazine articles and stuff like that to pull together kind of his story still liked it very effective but this you felt like you really got an insight into her because you could see her face as she was saying things and making offhanded comments about fame when she wasn't famous, when she mm-hmm. was a lot younger, like younger, like a year younger, two years, like not even thinking really about being famous, like you know, not even dreaming of anything like that. So just, just really amazing piece of work. I agree. And I, I, really I came into it, not really unlike montage of heck. I came into it. Yes. I'd heard of Amy Winehouse. I knew one or two of her songs, but that's it. Hmm. Never really, never knew anything else about her. And I really came away feeling like I learned quite a, quite a deal. Quite well, a big you definitely deal. know her throughout this film. That's the great thing about it is that when you're capturing somebody on film by their own videotaping or by a friend videotaping, and they're being real and honest and talking, they're not, they're not recording that thinking that they're doing it for a documentary right. about their life in the future. <laughs> When you Man, this will be an amazing confessional yeah. moment right. if I can just get it now. You put that right. together, you realize you're getting to know this person for real. And that's what the best documentaries can do is really let you know that person in and out by the end of the film. Now, I know the purpose of the film was to document the story of someone that shot to stardom, kind of even in a unique music style at right. the time. And obviously, doing in doing so, became self-destructive in the relationships around her and what happened to her because of that. The intent of the film was not to tell us why Amy Winehouse decided she wanted to do this soul uh, Motown-type revival music as pop music when that was not the fashion at the moment. Right. I would have liked a little more of understanding the music choices because I'm fascinated by the fact that here's a woman who became a pop i'm using pop in quotation marks sensation years ago by performing a kind of music that when you listen to the album it's not the kind of music that is popular today but i love it and you know my wife loves it so you've heard you'd heard a great deal of her stuff okay we we play back in black quite a bit at the house because it's just front to back that album their main song rehab is actually the most poppy song on the album the rest of the album is very soulful and very just 60s R&B influence is so good. Well, I think I thought I learned why she did it. It's because that's the kind of, she grew up listening to all the influences that she then kind of mimicked. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of music spoke to her. That's what she wanted to do. Whether or not she became, like she kind of says at some points, what's important to her is she just wants to be able to sing in a club and be able to do that for a living is just be yeah. able to sing in a club because she really likes this music. That's what speaks to her. All the other stuff that came with fame not really part of her plan. She kind of says even at one point, like, you know, people are going to at some point realize I'm not good at this fame thing. You just need to let me write music and do stuff. I can't do all this other stuff. Yeah. That's not me. That's, you know, they're going to realize she says all I'm good for is writing music. Like mm-hmm. she's like, she says that kind of in a offhanded comment. Let me not knowing a lot of her music. The mm-hmm. only two songs I knew were back to black or yeah, back to black. That mm-hmm. song I knew and I knew Rehab, but mm. only as a very surface. Yeah, it was the pop song. Mm. Let me tell you, one of I have two moments of mm. this documentary that hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm sure I know what it is. Um, the setup of, you know, she's well-documented. She had problems. You know, duh. This documentary lays out, here's some things that she had problems with. You know, drugs, alcohol, family relationships. The setup, as it were, or the history of her problems rehab, then 
her performing the song Rehab and at a at a club or something. You can tell mm-hmm. it's not at a concert yet, but it's like at a club. And they put the words on the screen that are letting you see the lyrics to the song. That bothered me so much mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you're familiar with the song, which you are, there's a line in there about, you know, daddy says I don't need to go to rehab or something. They yeah. talk about the people that wanted her to go to rehab, the people that didn't. Oh, yeah. What Amy kind of wanted, they some of those dynamics that were sad. Let's just say it. They were sad, are sad. And then to hear her singing that song, that that bothered me. <laughs> well, when the first time I ever heard the song Rehab, and I knew a little bit about, hey, supposedly this girl's got some drug issues. She actually had to go to rehab or was supposed to go or whatever. You hear that song, and it's a very ironic song for her to be singing it. Sure. But when in the documentary, when you're getting some interview clips from her father, and you're seeing the way her father is monopolizing or trying to really benefit from this exposure around her. And then you've got her boyfriend. Oh man. And the relationship that they help develop with her. I mean, it's just you hear that song now and it's it's a heartbreaking song. It at is that point. it's it's yeah. I like I don't think like before I knew, you know, when I'd heard the song, I was like, Oh yeah, she's the one that has like drug problems or whatever. She's singing about in that ironic and that's that I took it at face value and that was it. But now having seen this documentary, like, I don't know that I can ever hear that song again and think of it. It's kind of, in a way, it's kind of ruined the song for me. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, but it should, you know, because right. it's just like that. It, the fact that she's no longer here, spoiler, she it's does pass like that away. Song has become a little bit of an obituary for her, yeah. you know, so. And um, just heartbreaking. Well, what I thought was really impressive, how well they conveyed it through the film. I mean, it was obvious to anybody watching it without having to come right out and say it, is how dependent she became on her relationships. Yeah. I mean, there were two relationships that you really heard them talk about a lot in the film. One earlier on, and then the one that really kind of went with her through the end. And in both those situations, you just could see from the footage and the things she was saying naturally. She just did not know how to function without being in a relationship with somebody. Right. And she needed somebody as that support and that crutch. And unfortunately, the second one, which admirable that they got him talking on on camera about their relationship when it's very clear from about the film that he did not do much to help that relationship. Well, that, they never, that and that's, that's a benefit with, or that not a benefit, but that was an interesting, not having him on camera. Right. He was on vocal recording, but never seeing him, mm. a current picture of him. Yeah. Kind of a, in a way, kind of letting him off the hook. Right. Because all it is, is his voice True. narrating things. Interesting stylistic choice, but good. It's just, it was just fascinating to me to watch yeah. some of those scenes where you could tell she was just so, I, I need to be with my boyfriend. I want, where is my boyfriend? What's going on? And I can't handle the idea of not having this boyfriend anymore. Right. That's just, it's devastating to watch. And you didn't have to have somebody narrate it and say, well, Amy had a real codependency problem and she just really couldn't be around, you know, couldn't be around, be I mean, she couldn't be without somebody. Sure. You didn't have to have that beat over the head with you. You could just watch this footage, and it was so just in your face. Wow. That's that's a concern right there. That is not helping that situation. So uh, it was just really fascinating to watch. Uh, there, you know, I spoke. That was one kind of memorable moment that hit me like a ton right. of breaks. The second is something that— The performance. Am I, I'm just going to say the performance— where she really just falls apart on stage. No, no. That one got me. Okay, so that's, that was, that's devastating yeah. as well, and that's not, you know, an acting. That's just like where she just kind of loses it. That No, the one that actually, 
there's no way to fake this. You know, I'd never seen footage before this. When she won, I think it was a Grammy mm-hmm. for Back to Black. The way they had set it up, you know, the Grammys, they kind of, you know, they, I think they choose people that they think have a high likelihood sometimes, or like they know there'll be good performers to perform live. Well, she was, I guess, on a tour somewhere in England or whatever. They're over in the United States doing the Grammys. They're like, okay, we're going to have a live shot of, at some point, a live performance of you doing a song. She's like, okay, cool. So she's there, you know, and everything. And so she knows at some point, you know, they're going to do the whole throw to the performer. They're like, okay, now live for me. You know, it's Mm. anyone else. And then she's going to get to sing. So because of this, she's basically watching the telecast of the Grammys so that, you know, she'll be ready and everything. And the stage is all set up and stuff. And as she's watching, one thing that evening is the best whatever album, whether it's pop or new artist Mm. or whatever. And she's in the running to win this award. And because of the cameras were already rolling and stuff, they showed her reaction when she saw that she was she had won. And she yeah. was just like, that was priceless. And it's not, you know, it's not the same as when you see people at the Oscars or when you see people in the crowd at the Grammys and they're all like, woo, and they have like, you know, they're kind of, because you've seen that type of thing again. But because she does, because she thinks the cameras aren't on her. She's not acting for the cameras because she's not live yet. Yeah. She's not singing yet. And she's only surrounded by family and friends. Right, and all of them yeah. are like going nuts. And she's just literally in shock, does yeah. not know what to say, doesn't know what to do. And she didn't have to worry about it because they're, you know, she's not there at the Grammy, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, right. That's but that was, that was amazing. And that's one of those things where like footage like that of other performers when you're trying to document, that doesn't exist. And well, so that was exactly. You don't amazing. have to that. And then the scene I was referring to about where oh, yeah. you see her going back out on tour where she does not want to go back on tour. She's fighting it, but she has to. And she is not prepared for it. She is not in a good mental state to be on tour. Is that, is, is that, and that's the performance. Again, this stuff sounds like urban legend, sounds like the stuff of Hollywood movies, but this happened. Well, we're watching She was drugged. The she was drugged. Yeah. And, or she was unconscious, put on a plane. She woke up in a different country and was like, okay, shoved out on the stage and told to yep. perform. And it didn't go so and well. And we're watching footage that was probably shot by a fan right. with their video camera the whole time. So, again, this is not like professionally polished sure. film. This is real life we're watching. And that's what the best documentaries make you feel like you were watching exactly what happened or you know exactly what happened in that situation. And that's what this film did so well. We knew every single thing we were watching was authentic. You know, right. and uh, I thought it was great. I, if I had to give any nitpick to it, I really had a hard time coming up with any dislikes of the film. Um, I had a couple of times where I had to really kind of piece back together the timeline of what was going because it was a little sporadic at times. Like at one moment, the Back in Black album had come out and it seemed like they were talking about some things before it came out. Mm. It was just, I had a little bit of a hard time, the timeline. And it took me a while to adjust to the fact that I was never going to see the people's faces on screen that were talking. That was a little that was a little jarring for me. As I would well. hear a female voice, and I'm like, okay, who is, who is that again? Was that <laughs> right. a friend? If that was sure. her friend, then that would make sense here. And they did put names up every once in a while, but every yeah, once in a while. It, it could get a little yeah, jarring. It was a, little, yeah. a little tough to watch. And of course, we're dealing with a lot of thick accents too, sure. so that made it a little bit trickier to piece together. That's really my only dislike. Is it's just. A couple parts I had to rewind a little bit and kind of make sure I was following it correctly. Sure. But otherwise, I thought it was great. It was a really good documentary. One of the best ones I've seen in quite a while. And the other documentary thing I really appreciate is, I'm not sure if it's the first thing you see in the film or the first thing you get. Like, you see footage of her at like a birthday party mm-hmm. and people go, and I think at that point you also hear her sing. Yep, you do. And, you know, this is a friend with a phone. It's just, you know, And it's real. 
And you know at that point, you're like, wow, she can sing. I was like 14 or 15 years old, and she's singing, and it was awesome. It was, she sounded no better than when she was on stage singing. Like, she she was already good. (laughs) And that was just Right there with that first shot, I'm like, okay, I'm on board, I'm hooked. This is great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I will say. If they were, if they are going to make this film, this, this acted film, I know, unfortunately, they're going to do the same storyline, the whole well, sure. rise to fame and then crash and burn and all the problems along with it. Unfortunately, I know they're going to do that. That's not really interesting to me to see in another film now. But I do still love the music so much that if the film could just emphasize the music more than maybe the documentary did... I think they could actually coexist, kind of like the walk in Man on Wire did. Speaking, you know, I, I said at the beginning of the review, I have no interest, no interest in seeing a fictionalized version. However, having seen the walk, like you're saying, Man on Wire was awesome, but the walk was able to somehow let you maybe kind of experience what it might have been like. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it for that. If I really liked Amy, I'm on the same page with you, really, really liked it. I kind of doubt, because if it's typical Hollywood mess, that they'll bring anything to the story. But if somehow they can give you a little bit of understanding about her creative process or something like that and focus less on the roller coaster ride and the tragedy thing that you feel like a typical Hollywood movie and nominate her for best actress because she suffered and lost a lot of weight to look bad for the role. Like, you know, if they can avoid the normal pitfalls, it could be good, but I am there. I'm as leery as you and I were of the walk. I'm as yeah. really leery of this movie that yeah. could, will be I, I am too, but I, I will say on its own merit, Amy, a really, really good, powerful documentary. Yes. I mean, it was one of those at the end, I was kind of a little speechless and a little oh, aghast. Yeah. So it was a really good film. Really Agreed. Good. All right. We're going to take a really quick break and when we come back, we've got a little bit of movie news to talk about. And then our recommendations, which I'm very excited to be talking about my recommendations. So, <laughs> speaking of documentaries, completely polar opposite. Just to give you a little teaser on that. So anyway, we'll be right back with Foot Candle Films in just a moment. I'm with the band on the TV, Features regional music acts discussing their craft and live performances. Subscribe to I'm with the band on the TV and swim around in the heads of your favorite regional musicians. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. I am Alan Low Voice Jackson. <laughs> Again, I apologize for the rough voice, but I just did not want to stay away from the podcast microphone any longer. Right. I probably could have taken a couple more days to heal up, but you know what? Whatever. Don't tell my doctor <laughs> I've been talking for the last hour we go. on a microphone. And Chris is across from me. Uh, we're with Foot Candle, the Film Society, the Film Festival, and now this film podcast as well, of course. Uh, this is the part of the show where we like to talk about a little bit of movie news to share. And uh, Chris, we covered two films just in the first part of the show. There are both smaller films, you know, not big budget films by any stretch of the imagination. Didn't do a whole lot of box office, either one of them. Right. Uh, we think both of them were really good, mm-hmm. but they are smaller films. But you know what? We are getting in the holiday season and we're in a territory where we've got several Big, splashy sequel There's some trailers. space movie that's coming out. There's that, which we have agreed that we are not going to talk about in recent episodes, and we have not. No, we're just mentioning it now as some space movie. All we're going to say is that <laughs> you may want to keep your eye on the podcast feed in the next week or so to just see if we decide to review said space film. Kind of a bonus episode. Exactly. Right. That being said, that's all we're going to say about this particular film. 
but there's actually trailers that have come out for many other big budget CGI superheroes, science fiction blockbusters that have all kind of just come out in the last few weeks here. I've got four of them. Okay. And I want to just tell you quickly what the films are. Okay. See if you've seen the trailers or not. And we can dialogue about it, but I want to really gauge your interest level in these particular four now that we've got these four at one time to talk about. And again, this is all just to balance the fact that we've been in a little more art house in the first half of the episode. Let's let's talk let's talk mainstream. Big, <laughs> let's talk big big IMAX three sure. D whatever spectacle movies now. Do we have to talk about Alvin and the Chipmunks? Well, I mean, that's one of the ones I was going to talk about. That's one of the big ones everybody's excited about. <laughs> come um, on. <laughs> so we had a trailer come out a few weeks ago for Batman versus Superman. Yes. Um, this trailer probably gave us the most information about the story. I dare say it gave away the entire story. Wow. Um, but, of course, that's uh, – uh, what's the guy that plays superhero, oh, Superman name? Is it Henry Cavill? Yes. Uh, we got uh, my favorite as Bruce Wayne. Uh, ben, ben Affleck. Affleck. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Wonder Woman made an appearance in the trailer. Um, have you seen it? I have not seen the trailer. Okay. Um, and here's why. Yeah. I think I may have briefly discussed it in the past. It's not because I'm trying to keep my mind as clean as I am for the space movie that shall yes. not be named. Yes. Um, but I saw like an initial, maybe a teaser trailer for said movie, and my opinion already started to go to the toilet. So you just don't want to negatively influence yourself right. anymore. And so it's already kind of, you know, I'm already, I'm already let down. And I haven't yeah. even seen it after the teaser trailer. I really, really, as if people know who've listened to the show, I really like Batman. I know you do. He's kind of my guy. Like he I was know. the kind of, I wasn't a Spider-Man guy. I wasn't a Superman guy. That's why I'm worried for you. I was a Batman guy. I know. You should I'm be. a little worried for you right now. <laughs> um, so I really like Batman and I've, I've liked the Burton movies, then I like the Nolan movies. Those other ones, yeah, they're kind of sketchy that, <laughs> that uh, Joel Schumacher oh, did. Yeah. 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 So, um, but I am just really afraid that this is going to be really bad. So I have not seen the trailer on purpose because I just don't want to depress myself anymore. I hope I am wrong. I really, 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 really want to be wrong. Yeah, I think we all want to be wrong about this, but I don't have a good feeling about it. And I was not a big fan of Man of Steel at all. And see, I remember we we reviewed that on the show, Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, it was okay. And I actually, I was somewhat favorable on it, but you really didn't like it. This was like Man of Steel amplified. This is what concerns me. And I think I gave Man of Steel a little bit of a pass because they were telling something that had already been told before. They were kind of redoing Superman 2, which was the best of the original Supermans, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They were kind of redoing that. That's kind of, a, that's kind of like redoing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's kind of right. a hard thing to do. And I thought they did an okay job. Did it improve on it? No. But I thought they did an okay job. So I kind of gave that one a little bit of a pass. Whereas now that you're out of an origin story territory, and now you're doing, okay, now we're getting on with the main storyline. I, I, I'm just, I'm scared. I don't think I'll be able to give it a pass as much as I gave Man of Steel. I got a feeling you'll see it in the movie theater, whether you want to or not, in the next few weeks, no matter what. So Probably. prepared for that. Right. Um, on the flip side, the Marvel side of the coin, we also have Captain America Civil War. Trailer came out. Okay. So, yeah, I haven't seen the trailer, but do they actually do the whole, like, 
with all the hubbub about the Confederate flag, did they do like the blue and the gray uniforms and like they actually towed around the Confederate flag for Civil War yep. or no? Mm, they do. Okay. Yep. They I was wondering if they would actually scrap the, the whole uh, project the now. And, and okay. Um, it's a very faithful recreation. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, uh, it's their own little Civil War heroes versus heroes for some unknown situation we don't know uh, yet. So not the North and the South and because of slavery no. and all that stuff, plantations. No, it's not. Okay. That would be interesting. Okay. Um, but we have Captain America versus the Iron Man team. Oh, okay. And so it is two groups kind of splitting and fighting. It's a Captain America movie, but basically it's a, it's all the superheroes fighting against each other. So from my response, you can tell I haven't seen the trailer. And not only it. that, but you can see my true lines as being a DC fan with Batman, you being the Marvel guy. You're aware of this whole storyline. I am. And you've probably read some of the background material. I did. How do you? So I haven't seen. The tra- How do you feel about said trailer? I, I I'm enthusiastic for the film just because I really did like both of the two Captain America movies. Okay. The last one, the directors for that last film are doing this one as well. So the Winter Soldier guys are carrying yep. over. Okay. And I just think it's an interesting storyline. I think it was fun in the comics. I can't wait to see it play out. Why is it that the Captain America? I'm kind of on the same page. I liked both the Captain America movies. Mm-hmm. Why is it that the Captain America movies, even though it's Marvel content? Why is it that they are better than the Iron Man movies? Um, well, I will say the first Iron Man movie I thought was pretty good. Okay. But I thought number two was horrible, and number three I just didn't like. Um, <laughs> right. And each of the three, well, John Favreau did one and two. So I don't know what happened with number two. But I don't know. I think, uh, you know, we had Joe Johnson, I believe, did the first Captain America. And that okay. was really good. I just, it was. I, I, really it was the whole, I was surprised. I thought it would be so boring. Oh, I know. It was good. And the, I think the fact that they had the period time to work with, they had it was a more classic story, classic superhero story. The second one, The Winter Soldier, I just I think they did a pretty good job of making it a, a little bit more grounded superhero movie than most of the other ones are. There's a little more intrigue. There was like government conspiracies and all. So wait a minute. Maybe the reason I like Captain America movies better than Iron Man movies is because Captain America is kind of like the Marvel Batman where he's the down to earth, mm-hmm. like more grounded. But whereas Iron Man, you know, flies around, shoots laser beams. And that's kind of like Superman, which yeah. I'm not that big of a fan of. His, so, the, the villains okay. for Iron Man got a little more fantastical and a little crazy as well, too. So, yeah, huh. maybe that's part of it okay. as well. Um, so anyway, I think the trailer for this one looks good. It definitely looks overpacked with people. It's got like every one of the Avengers and new ones, old ones, everything. It's a lot of people in this film. Well, I have to say, um, and I really was, now I didn't really think it was about the Civil War. <laughs> so that was a joke. Um, but oh, I, yeah, okay. when I first heard the title, though, I thought that they superheroes were like time traveling back oh, yeah. and somehow got caught. And like, they meant, like I had no idea. So hearing the actual, but I have since heard the concept and hearing you kind of go into it a little more, I got to say, I am kind of interested in seeing what happens when the good guys are fighting each other. That's kind of an interesting concept sure. to me. And I'll tell you in the comics, so, the reason for it, and I think they alluded to it in the trailer that maybe something similar. It's the idea that, um, because of a superhero trying to do something to stop a bad guy, a giant explosion takes place. Like basically because of the powers that they have that killed a lot of people. Okay. So the idea is that it's like powers that are unchecked superheroes that are running on their own without any kind of government oversight hmm. is the issue. And it does allude to it in the trailer. That seems to be the same kind of issue. Is and which side can you, does Captain it spoil America stuff is, for you to tell me which side? No, Captain America is on the freedom side. 
He thinks that if people have powers and they want to use them for good, that they should not be under a government authority. They shouldn't have to register with the government. They should be able to be free and That's, have liberty to That do is that. fascinating because mm-hmm. if you'd asked me which side which person would be on, I would have thought the complete opposite. Because Scott, I would have thought you know, Captain America, you know, because he's the military soldier. Right. And all, like, I would have not expected that. I think that. his whole thing is he's been fighting for liberty. He wants freedom Freedom. I got you. Where Iron Man is all about, and they kind of alluded to this in the last Avengers movie, he was very concerned that the technology and all those things getting into wrong people's hands can be really bad. I got so you. he's more of the mindset of, you know what, if people have powers and abilities, they need to be registered. They need to be checked on. We can't let them run free. Hmm. So that becomes the conflict. Got you. I think it's that everybody, they want all superheroes to be registered with the government and work for the government in some way. And the battle is people who believe that and people who don't. Is so. this is this storyline going to be contained in one movie or do we know? I, I, it sounds like it, yeah. Okay. Huh. And unfortunately, what's going to happen? Because it sounds like there's a lot of meat there that, that actually, you know, also gone on record, I hate when they break something into multiple parts. Yeah. You know, The Hobbit or Mockingjay or you know, how right. they, But it sounds like this is so rich that it actually could be more than one movie. That's a little bit of a concern for me is that I think there's so much to pack into this. And um, I don't know. It'd be really interesting to see. Okay. Uh, the, the film introduces Black Panther as a new character. Okay. That's never been in a film before. Chadwick Boseman's going to be playing him. The guy who did James, James Brown. James Brown, mm-hmm. right. Are and, you con- Are you concerned... You know, the we've talked in the past when we reviewed um, the Spider-Man movie and, you know, superhero movies in general, where they start dumping lots of new characters oh, and yeah. new villains. Are you afraid of that Very syndrome much. with this? Okay, I'm afraid of that with this film. I think Batman, Superman's going to have the same problem because already you're hearing Wonder Woman's in it and then there's a big villain in it. And it's just, oh my gosh, so much stuff going on. It's, gotcha. Those things make my head hurt. Um, <laughs> okay. And also, to add on top of all that, uh, supposedly the new Spider-Man is going to be a cameo in this new film. So they're premiering who the new Spider-Man is, hmm. introducing him to this Marvel universe in this film as well. It's a lot going on. That's my big concern about it. Sure. But we'll see how it works out. All right, moving on. Okay. This just came out a couple days ago, Star Trek Beyond. Beyond. This is the third rebooted Star Trek movie. They had Star Trek back in 2009, I believe. And that was the J.J. Abrams film. Yes. And J.J. Abrams did Star Trek Into Darkness. Yes. Um, now this is Star Trek colon Beyond. Just when you thought the naming couldn't get worse, Star Trek Beyond. <sighs> I, just, I don't get the naming <laughs> scheme at all. This is not by J.J. Abrams. He's producing it, but he's not directing it. Okay. It is uh, Justin Lin, who's done some work in the Fast and the Furious franchise, I believe. I believe I've so. still never seen any of those movies. I have seen... One movie, and I think bits and pieces of another one, but I couldn't even tell you which one. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. so anyways, this is Star Trek Beyond. Um, I will say this. I, I thoroughly enjoyed both of the previous two Star Trek movies. I thought they were fun. You okay. know, and I'm not a huge Star Trek guy, so I was okay with them having a little more fun with the characters and going off the beaten path a little bit. I was okay with that. This trailer, I will say, does not give me a lot of confidence. Um, it looks like it's a more... A much more typical, just general action sci-fi movie. And from what I can tell, the tone and the the real authentic tone of Star Trek that I was hoping they were maybe going to inch a little closer to with each movie, 
they don't seem to be going there, for, at least from the trailer. I know it's very early to tell just trailer base, but that's what I'm seeing so far. Um, the main thing that bugs me about it is the whole trailer is set to the uh, Beastie Boys song, Sabotage. Yeah. Now, I was reminded online by somebody that Sabotage was a uh, Beastie Boys song was playing when James T. Kirk was a young boy in the first reboot movie hmm. when he was being chased by the cops. Wow. So it is kind of set up. I totally it forgot is kind of set that. Up that he, that's a song he likes. That when made me the, feel a little bit better about it being in this new trailer, but it is really in just about the entire trailer. Here, Okay, so you had mentioned, hey, to me, in the walking through the halls here, hey, have you seen the new trailer? It's like, no, and that is a space movie that I don't mind seeing things for. So I watched the trailer, Oh yeah, okay. and uh, my teeth were on edge the whole time, and I thought it was horrible, and okay. I have absolutely... I, 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 I am less excited to see this than I am Batman versus Superman. Right. I think it looks horrible. I had forgotten that there was, like you said, that there was a tie, actually, a that there was, there yeah. was a callback. Okay, so that gives me a little bit of hope, but this film looks like what Joel Schumacher did with Batman and Robin, what yes. he did to the Batman franchise from Tim Burton. That's what this looks like, a um, totally different that. perspective and like adding humor to the Batman thing like and making way too much humor. Yeah, at, making it look like the old goofy TV show. But the, at least the old TV show was a little goofy. This is giving that looks like it's giving that same aesthetic to the Star Trek franchise where this TV show maybe would have some lighthearted humor every now and then, but that's not what it was so about. This is, so this could be the Batman Forever of the Star Trek new series. Yes. Where you started off with a good reimagining of the characters right. in the first movie. Right. You did a second movie that didn't work for everybody. Some people really loved it. Some people hated it. Right. That was Batman Returns as well. But it was still the director getting to kind of do his style. Sure. Now you've handed it off to another director, J.J. Abrams, still producing, just like Tim Burton produced uh, Batman Ret- uh, Batman Forever. Forever. But Batman Forever was a huge drop in quality from the previous two. Well, and the one I'm comparing it to is the worst one of the series, Batman well, yeah. and Robin with Mr. Freeze and all that like, I'm just saying, what if, I wonder if we're going on the same trajectory. We, we may be. Where we have a fourth movie that's absolutely <laughs> horrible. You know, complete, this one may yeah. be disappointing and not very good but anyway but yeah that'll be that'll be interesting but yeah i i fear i fear for it <laughs> yeah i think when i saw like jumping a motorcycle and i saw just oh man so many explosions again it's like oh this doesn't look very promising so, yeah all right last one i know we probably spent a lot more time on this than i expected too but it's good this is a good conversation uh and this is the one that bewilders me the most um independence day <laughs> resurgence Yes, the Independence Day movie from 1996, was it? Gosh, it was I right in the mid-90s. Be, uh, yeah, 96 seems about 96. right. We're now getting a sequel 20 years later. Um, no Will Smith, which That's I'm okay with. Red, you know, I don't know that I am. You're not okay with that? No, I think it should, I think it should have him. No, I don't I was a little, that was kind of a flag that went up. as like, huh. I don't think was enough money to get him. So Probably not. Problem. Probably not. Um, but we do have Jeff Goldblum. We do have um, the guy who played the Bill president. Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. Which I, okay, only read, okay, I've seen said trailer too. It came on during yeah. a football game I was watching with my son. And I actually ran out of the room, but then was called back in because I thought it was a Star Wars. Oh, right. I thought it was the space movie that I, we cannot mention. Yep, sure. I thought it was that. So I like ran out of the room, but then he called me back. and He's like, no, Dad, it's Independence Day. So I came back in and watched it. 
that yeah, I think they're again shaking my head. I think it looks bad. Yeah. I, I don't even know where to rate these movies as far as like where I think they're. Go- I think Star Trek is probably no. I think Independence Day is probably at the I'm bottom. Independence Day at the bottom. Yeah, and then would come Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah, I guess we're then ranking. Then I'm doing them. Batman versus Superman. Then I'm doing Civil War. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Civil I, War. I think is the one I'm the most excited about. Yeah. That I think has the potential to be the best one of those four. Agreed. So. And I think my ranking would be the same, but I will say Independence Day. Um, Bill Pullman's appearance in that, I was like, that's actually kind of an interesting thing. Um, mm-hmm. He's a lot older. <laughs> I, yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting little it's touchstone nice. about the movie. Yeah. So I just I don't trust um, Roland Emmerich Emmerich right um, at all as a director. <laughs> I I thought the original Independence Day was fun, just because it was not trying to be a good movie. Sure. You know, it was, he like, was trying to be just schlock watch a or lot of explosions yeah. of famous monuments and people freaking out because of it. And for that, <laughs> it worked fine. It was a good popcorn movie. I was so disappointed in that movie. Really? Oh yeah. I'm I didn't like, go you know, how any expectations? Oh, see, I did because yeah. I'm such a sci-fi dork, and I was like expecting that to be just mind-blowingly Isn't that the good. Movie where the dog like runs from an explosion and like jumps out of the tunnel right before the explosion catches him. Oh man, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think it's Will Smith's son with the mom. They're driving and they stuck in a tunnel and they're getting out of the tunnel. The dog's like caught and like, come on. Oh man. And jumps like on his bad CGI with the, with (laughs) man, you're bringing back painful memories. See, I blocked a lot of that movie out. I saw that film in a kind of an interesting situation. I was in Seattle for work at a conference. Um, and I was with, I think, some coworkers, and I saw it at kind of a packed movie theater on opening weekend. And everybody was just there to have fun. So oh, it was like, okay. turn off your brain, just have fun. I had no expectations for it whatsoever. I had a good time with it. It was stupid. It was dumb. <laughs> but it was fun to watch. Sure. And it produces so many jokes now, like the fact that you could beat an entire alien race with a Mac by infecting them <laughs> with a virus or something. It was just so sure. dumb. But, um, you know... Yeah, I have no desire to see the, the sequel. Gotcha. Um, I would have to hear Rotten Tomatoes give it a 90 plus percent or somebody pay me or the podcast has reimbursed me to go review it. Something. Okay. For me to go see it. Otherwise, I'm fine. So waiting. that may be a punishment if you lose the Oscar. Um, Could be. The Oscar stuff this yeah, weekend. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we had four blockbuster sequels all coming out next year. Um, I think between March and like June or July. So we really got like several months worth of big sequel blockbuster movies and i think we kind of know where we stand on all four of them right now mm-hmm. let's move right on to closing up our show though chris with our recommendations this is a film that we've caught up with recently or think you all to do so especially with the holidays coming up you may be some of you in where you live may be snowbound some of you may just be stuck with family and trying to find some way to get away for an hour or two so chris what is a recommendation you'd like to share with our our faithful listeners here I'm going to recommend it was a favorite coming out of Sundance and then it just kind of disappeared uh, distribution wise, but it's a good movie. Uh, it's me, Earl and the dying girl. Oh, okay. Yeah. And if you hear about this movie, let me give you a brief plot synopsis. High schooler Greg, who spends most of his time making parodies of classic movies with his coworker Earl, finds his outlook forever altered after befriending a classmate who has just been diagnosed with cancer. Mm. You hear this and you think, okay, that sounds a lot like Fault in Our Stars, which yeah. came out in 2014, which I may have discussed on the show. Really didn't think I would have any interest in seeing Fault in Our Stars. I thought it was but like But you a, liked it, I believe. Yeah. But I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. 
Um, and I was hesitant when I heard about this movie to see it because I was like, it just sounds like a Fault in Our Stars remake. Right. Well, okay. Let me say that it is like Fault in Our Stars as told by Michel Gondry. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of like a mashup of Fault in Our Stars and Be Kind Rewind. Interesting. Um, I liked it a lot. Wow. Um, so. Okay. Well, I'm kind of interested now. I was. I was I was trying to pick up mixed things about the film. Like at some point, I would hear about it, and it sounded like it would be a fault in our stars level uh, teen romance or young adult romance. And then I heard some interesting things about the whole these guys remake films or do do some takes on films. So, so you're saying it's a good it's a good. I'm mix. saying it's good, and it has you know the main characters, uh, me who is Greg, Earl, and then Rachel who's the girl with cancer. All are played by to me unknowns. Okay, so that was really cool. Um, also, but what was also um, fun were some cameos that were in the film. Specifically, Nick Offerman is in mm. the film as Greg's dad, and he's like the guy from Parks and Rec. He's amazing <laughs> and perfectly cast as the dad. Um, so, yeah, can't recommend it. And interestingly enough, too, um, Fault in Our Stars is based off a book. And when I'd heard about this movie, I just thought it was a screenplay that was basically copying Fault in Our Stars. No, as it turns out, it was based off a book as well. So um, it's it's one to look out for. Check it out. Can't recommend it enough. Awesome. That's great. Uh, is it on iTunes, Amazon? I believe it's on um, the normal places. Yeah, I believe it's on iTunes. Okay, good. All right. Well, I actually have a legitimate uh, uh, one to give in a second. But before I do, you mentioned Nick Offerman. I was almost tempted to recommend that for the holidays, <laughs> you are... Let's say you got family at the house staying. Kind of need to get away for a little bit. You need to relax, and you need to relax very Nick Offerman style. Okay. You can go online right now and watch a forty-five minute video of Nick Offerman sitting in a leather lazy boy chair, drinking whiskey in front awesome. of a fire. Awesome. That's it. That sounds amazing. It's honestly him sitting there for forty-five minutes, not saying a word. Is he looking at the camera? Yeah, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Drinking whiskey in front of a fire. Where is this now? I need to find <laughs> it. If I Google it, can I find oh, it? Yeah. Is it like on Absolutely. YouTube? Okay. Yep. It's on YouTube and everything. Okay. Nick Offerman's Yule Log. Oh, That's it. yeah. Okay. Okay. That's it. So you awesome. know what? You just need to have something on in the background. Maybe you're one of those families that do the whole Yule Log, Yule log burning on your TV set. And you yeah. That's kind of fun. Throw a little Nick Offerman in front of it, drinking some whiskey. That's just what you want to have on the background right now. He, so. Yeah. He may be my new favorite, Will Ferrell. <laughs> he is good. He is very good. So, okay. All right. So my actual recommendation is a film on Netflix. It's a documentary. It is called Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. I so know you're not you recommending Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> no, I'm not recommending Breaking 2. I'm okay. very clear about that. Electric Boogaloo is the name of this film because Canon Films made Breaking and Breaking 2 along with Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. They did Death Wish 2, 3, 4, 5. They did Enter the Ninja, American Ninja. They did all these classic, horrible movies. Um, and the reason I love this documentary, it's not a great, it's not a terribly well-made documentary. It is a very traditional, let's interview a bunch of people and just put together all their clips of interviews, and we're just going to show pieces of the film scattered throughout. But I just love the fact that you know this kind of is digging into... Minahan Golan and Yoram Globus, who are two movie-obsessed cousins from Israel, and they basically came to Hollywood and started making films here for as low-budget, quick, put-together-as-possible. They are more interested in quantity and volume than they were quality. 
And they took on a lot of interesting properties with Enter the Ninja, with the um, Death Wish franchise, and eventually getting their hands on the Superman franchise. And it's just, the results are all horrible. I mean, I've seen several of these films in the 80s, and they were not good at all. Um, (laughs) And hearing about the cut corners they do for production and how some of the people who worked with them, just what they would do to just... They, I love the stories about them never going out for lunch. It's like they're always having lunch brought in and stealing eating lunch from working. the production yeah, assistants. It's like we're just always going to keep working. We're going to keep working and making movies and doing this and just right. this unbridled enthusiasm for every movie they were making. It was just fun to watch and it brought back so many memories um, of not only seeing these films when they came out, but also Canon Films actually had a studio set up in Wilmington for quite a while. Hmm. So I was actually down in Wilmington when Canon Films were there. Oh, wow. I went for a couple of days because we knew somebody who was connected with the production studio. And they actually got to let me be on set as they were doing some TV movie. I forgot the name of it or what it was. But anyway, kind of in that neighborhood of things going on there. It was wow. really cool. So. I just uh, I just thought it was really fun to watch. I, I, I know you saw it. I, saw I have it seen it, and I, I would echo you, I would echo your sentiments about it. I I really enjoyed it, and I um, what was fascinating to me too is movies that I've completely forgotten about um, that they would bring up. For instance, the He Man Masters of the oh, Universe yes. movie. Oh my gosh! Okay, I remember when that movie came out. I saw that movie in the theater hmm. and was genuinely excited to go see it. Wow. Um, don't ask me why, but the movie came out and then I remember being kind of confused and kind of like, I don't get it. I mean, here it is. I'm seeing this movie and you know, at that young age, I didn't really understand. And like now seeing that documentary, like, Oh, no wonder Canon films was behind it. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it is just, it is so, and it's one of those things like you wouldn't believe it was true, but here's a documentary. Here are the people talking about it. Like, Stranger than fiction, um, that it could happen. But, you know, one of the nice things about it, too, (laughs) they kind of got a bad name for producing crap movies and everything. But at the end of the day, one of the guys who's been interviewed and has been, you know, very honest, kind of slamming him at times, says, you know what? You got to admit, they were able to do it. They didn't come and go in like a year or two. No, they were around for a while. They were Mm -hmm. an institution. They just didn't really have any idea what they were doing, but they had a drive and a passion. They loved true. movies. He yeah, said, you, you can't say that they didn't love movies. Yeah. Sure, you definitely get that across. No, I thought it was just a lot of fun to watch. And uh, a friend of mine, a contributor sometime to the show, he's written in a couple times. He and I grew up together, and we saw like a lot of these movies on mm-hmm. cable TV or HBO when they come out. So we were texting each other while I was watching the documentary. I'm like, have you seen this yet? He's like, oh, yeah, I watched it. <laughs> and uh, comparing notes on it was fun. fun. So it, was a, it was a good throwback. It's kind of a good nostalgia throwback. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely a nostalgia film. If you remember those films in the 80s and just, wow, they were, I mean, even the little notes about Breaking, the Breaking movie. About the girl that they cast in the film. Yeah. And kind of some of the friction that was there. And it's like, why are you casting her? <laughs> and it was only because the two guys really just liked her. Right. And she knew how to dance. So, oh, we'll put her in the breakdancing movie. And it's like, well, what is going on here? So it was <laughs> really funny stuff. All right. So that wraps it up for our show. Um, you had The Walk, highly regarded, especially by Chris. You had Amy, highly regarded both by, by both of us. You've got some news. Uh, looks like we're probably the most interested in Captain America Civil War, the least interested in Independence Day Resurgence. Yes. <laughs> um, we had the recommendations of me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, 
and Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Both available online for your holiday watching pleasure. And just as a note, in our show notes, we try to put links to the movies that we discuss. A production assistant did run up here and say that Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl is available to buy or rent on iTunes. But things like that, we we try to put links so you can find the films that we'll talk about in case you're wondering and don't know where it is. And I will just say Electro Boogaloo, the Canon Films documentary, not one to have the kids around, okay? (laughs) Because most of the films they show you are not age-appropriate in any way, shape, or form. True. All right. Well, Chris, if anybody wanted to reach out to us, contact us, how would they go about doing so? You can email us at info at the mesh.tv and uh, ask us a question about the show or tell us of a movie you want us to review or tell us an opinion about a movie. Uh, Alan and I also have accounts on Letterboxd, and that's letter B-O-X-D without that last E. And we you know talk about movies that we review, and also you can just see like you know what we're watching and uh, follow us on there. And there's also our website, which is footcandle.org, where you'll find out about the film society that we do. And also, coming up, guys, in January, we are going to do our film festival again. So just be on the lookout for that. If you're a filmmaker, start getting your film ready. Well, in January, <laughs> we'll um, kind of be open for the submissions. Correct. The film is going to be next September. Correct. But we are going to start the submission process. So, yeah, keep your eye open for that. And uh, we're real excited about doing that again next year. We had a great time this year. We did. With that. All right. Well, we are going to wrap it up then. Please check us out. Listen to old episodes. Give us any feedback you can. We'd love to hear from you. In case we don't talk to you again, hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Uh, if you're catching this before the holidays, if you're hearing it after the holidays, we hope you've had a wonderful time as well. Keep your eye on the feed. There may be a little special surprise landing here with a quick review of something in the next little bit certain big film that we've been alluding to Uh, but otherwise we'll look forward to talking to you more in 2016 take care see you in the ticket line special thanks to carpal taller for the show theme music For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.